Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. what book of the Bible we're in today? The book of Revelation. No, it feels like we're living the book of Revelation. Does anybody know what chapter in Revelation we're in? No, um, actually the rapture has not yet happened. So we're going to work on our marriages. We're in the book Song of Solomon, taking a look at the Bible's guide to a better marriage. And today we are going to talk about one of the most important, neglected, and oftentimes forgotten aspects of marriage, friendship. So if you're watching online, go ahead and do me a favor. Go ahead, pull out your phone, click the share button on this video so that way you can share this to your friends. But while they're logging on, let me go ahead and let you in on a little secret. They're not actually your friends. Shh, don't tell them that I said that. But we live in a day and age to where we think that everybody is our friend. We have friends from all different places and all different walks of life. You say, that's my friend, they're my friend, they're my friend. Most likely, they're not your friend, right? They accepted my friend request, but that doesn't mean they accepted you in their heart as their friend. It takes a little bit more effort than just clicking a like button or double tapping your face in order to make them your friends. But we call everyone friends. Where I'm friends with that guy, I'm friends with that guy. I haven't seen them since Bush was president, but I guess they're still my friend. I went to seventh grade with them. I haven't seen them in forever. Oh, but anytime it comes up in a conversation, say, oh yeah, that is my friend. And we call people friends way too quickly. But here's the deal is that most people, they don't really feel like they have any friends. We're experiencing this right now in the middle of COVID-19 and the pandemic, the loneliness epidemic that is happening because we're at home, isolated and alone, and very few people actually feel as if they have any friends. And what's interesting to me is this. I meet couples all the time, and when they introduce their spouse, they'll say, oh, hey, here's my husband, or maybe they'll say, here's my wife, or some of y'all might say, yes, yeah, old ball and chain. Don't say that. Don't call them that. But very rarely do I meet a couple who says, this is my friend. But really, that's the way that the Bible expects marriage to be. Because marriage is about friendship. If you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, where everything has its start, we notice that it really starts with a friendship. So there's one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God, God himself is a friend group. That God the Father is friends with God the Son. God the Son is friends with God the Spirit. God the Spirit is friends with God the Father and God the Son. There is mutual love, respect, adoration, communication, and affection within the Trinity because they're a friend group. And then out of God's love and friendship, God made us. And we were made in his image and likeness so that way we could mirror and reflect him. God made us for friendship, first friendship with him. And as Adam was walking with God in the garden, God made everything that there was in this world and he said it is good. The plants, the stars, the trees, the moon, the platypus, all of it. He said it is very good. But there is one thing that God said is not good. It's not good for Adam to be what? 
alone. And so God made a helper fit for him. So God, he saw that Adam had God above him and he had creation below him, but he had no one there beside him to be able to share and to do life with. Adam was lonely. Even paradise is a lonely place when you have no one to share it with. And so God caused Adam to go down into a deep sleep and literally from his rib, from his side, he created woman. And he created Eve, not only to be his wife, but also to be his friend. That's what we read in Genesis 2.10. It says this, and then the Lord caused Adam to go into a deep sleep and from his side, he says this, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper fit for him that Eve was actually made to be the helper for Adam. Now, I know when I say that, it's 2020 and people get triggered when I say that. You mean to tell me that women are made to be the helper? Oh, that's very denigrating and disrespectful for women. I bet you think that all women should just be barefoot naked in the kitchen making sandwiches. Actually, that's not what that word helper means. Actually, in the Hebrew, that word helper is ezer. Can we all say that, ezer? Okay, go ahead and type that in the comments, E-Z-E-R. That's the word helper. And here's what the actual Hebrew word means. It means a companion. Quite literally, it really means a friend. That before Adam and Eve were married, God made them to be friends. And a little bit after that, God walks them down and Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. The first wedding happens. But before there was a wedding, guess what? Adam and Eve, they were easers. They were companions. They were helpers. They were friends with each other. This is the reason why so many of us, we long for friendship because we were made for this friendship. And marriage is actually a result of a friendship. And actually social sciences will agree with this. Last week we looked at the four horsemen of divorce from the researcher John Gottman out of the Gottman Institute. And he did a massive survey of couples over about 30 year period and he can accurately predict uh, divorce within 95% race based on the four horsemen of divorce. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go listen to last week's sermon as the couple got in a fight and you can learn about the four horsemen. But he did also say that the couples who make it, they have one thing in common. They, they responded that their friend was their spouse, their best friend, their nearest and dearest, their closest friend. In fact, 70% of the couples surveyed across America when they asked him, what are you looking for in a spouse? 70% of the couples, men, women, rich, poor, young, old, black, white, everyone said the number one thing was this, they're looking for a friend, someone to share their life with, someone to do their life with. Even the world would say that marriages are better when the friendships get better. And so here's what I wanna do today. I wanna just take this sermon and I wanna talk about friendship. I wanna help you be able to say what Song of Solomon 5.16 says. I only have one verse. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn with me to this one verse, one verse, one big idea, one life-changing, marriage-saving, heartwarming verse for you and your spouse. My prayer is that you would be able to say that your spouse is your best friend. So Song of Solomon 5.16, that's what we're gonna be looking at today. And this is what she says. This is my lover and this is my friend. Can you say that about the person you're sitting next to? 
Can you say that about the person that you are married to? For those of you who are single, can you say that about the person that you are dating or engaged to? This is my lover, and more importantly, this is my friend. What's interesting, also in the Hebrew, that word beloved is the word alep, which literally means this is my closest companion. This is my dearest confidant. This is the one who knows me and sees me better than anybody else. This is my beloved. She's literally saying, this is my best friend. This is my friend. So today what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about friendship. Can you say about your spouse, this is my lover and this is my friend? The song title for today is Song of Solomon 516. And the song literally is, this is my lover and this is my friend. We're just gonna take today and we're gonna talk about friendship. Because when the friendship gets better, here's what you need to know. Everything else gets better. Before you were married, guess what? You were friends. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here in the room and your relationship is struggling and suffering and strained. You're at odds with one another and you're wondering where did it go wrong? What's working? What's not working? Probably this area. It's the friendship. Because when the friendship gets better, everything else gets better. But when the friendship begins to suffer and struggle, then everything else in the marriage begins to suffer and struggle as well. Before you were married, you were friends. There was a reason that you married that person. There's a reason that you gave your heart to that person. There's a reason that you went through the dating and the engagement and all those things with that person. And it's because you were friends with him. Before you were married, you were actually friends. How many of you remember when you were dating? Some of y'all, it was like back in the 90s and that was a long time ago. But how many of you remember when you were dating? There was something about them that attracted you to them. Now, originally, it probably was their appearance. You saw them, you're like, oh, hey, they're a little cute. Oh, hey, I like that. But as soon as you began to have a conversation with them, their appearance or their physical attraction began to take a backseat to the friendship connection. You realize we have a lot of things in common. You like this. I like that. Oh, we both listen to the same music. We have the same friends group. Oh, we have the same joint shared love of movies. Oh, you have a weird laugh. I have a weird laugh. Oh, it's so amazing. And then you begin to find the things that you were connected with, the things that you shared in common. And by doing so, you begin to build a friendship. Do you remember when you were actually friends with your spouse? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you used to stay up all night on the phone talking to one another? Do you remember that? I remember me and Ashley, we actually met on the internet, told you a story a few weeks ago. She, I sent her a friend request and she accepted me. And it was like, boom, friendship status achieved. And then we actually started talking on the phone and we would stay up all night talking on the phone together. We'd be like, hey, it's so good. Oh, I really got to go to work. And they're like, okay, well, you hang up. No, 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 you hang up. No, you hang up. No, no, you hang up. Okay, we'll hang up at the same time. Ready? One, two, three. Oh, you didn't hang up. Oh, you didn't hang up. Now y'all laugh and it's silly, but really we all did it. But what that is, is it is the, the building of a friendship. You want to be with them. You miss them. You long for them. You have conversations, you laugh and you tell jokes, you read books, you encourage and you bless one another because there is a friendship that happens. When the friendship gets better, everything else gets better. But 
Here's what happens. Maybe you've discovered this in your life. I know that I've discovered it in mine, is that after you get married, the friendship begins to take a backseat to the hurry, to the worry, and to the busyness of life. You get married, all of a sudden, things start getting really busy. You're working, you're paying rents, you're in college, you're paying off your student loans, and then you get pregnant, not me, her, she got pregnant, and she get pregnant, and then you start having a few kids, and kids are expensive, and they're busy, and they're always asking and expecting things out of you. And so now you're taking care of the kids and then there are extracurricular activities. And then now you got to get Susie to ballet at five and Johnny has T-ball at six. Who's picking up the kids? What's for dinner? And one of you gets sick and the other loses your job. And then you don't have insurance. Now you got to pay off the debt. Now you got a new job, a better job. You're working more hours and you have less time to spend with one another. And the hurry and the worry and the busyness of life overtakes the friendship to where eventually what happens is you go from saying, this is my lover and this is my friends to this is my coworker and this is my business partner. It's where you end up saying, you can't say this is my lover, this is my friend. Instead, because you're living polar opposite lives, trying to keep everything together, you go from this is my lover to this is my friend, from roommates or from soulmates rather to roommates. And sadly, tragically, this is a stranger and even worse yet still, this is my enemy because you're living in the same house, you have the same last name, you're sharing a bank account, but you're not sharing anything else in life together. And you go from this is my lover to this is my friend to this is a stranger, this is my coworker. And that's when the marriages begin to really struggle. I was talking with a young man, he's a newlywed in our church, and he was like, Pastor Byron, this sermon series is amazing, it's so great, I'm loving Song of Solomon, we're trying to do everything that you're talking about week after week. But after last week's sermon, I was actually really discouraged. I said, well, why were you so discouraged? He said, we've been doing everything. We've been working on the triangulation of the relationship. We've been talking about passion and intimacy and commitment. We've been catching the foxes, been hunting some baby deer. We've been doing all those things, working on the four horsemen. But I just have to tell you, it's a little overwhelming. It's overwhelming because it seems like every single week there's something that I'm failing at. There's something that is broken in our marriage. There's something that's going wrong and I'm just overwhelmed and I don't even know where to start. Anybody feeling that? Everybody feeling that way? You're like, wow, there's a lot more wrong than I thought that there was. I don't know where to start. And so what I told him is this, start here. Start with the friendship. Start here, say these words to your wife. This is my lover and this is my friend. Because when the friendship gets better, guess what? Everything else gets better. Actually, social sciences, again, would agree with this. Because science has determined that couples who are the most satisfied with their marriage are those who consider their spouse to be their best friend. Because when the friendship gets better, everything else gets better. It's a lot easy to enjoy life when you're enjoying the life with the person that you're doing life with. When the friendship gets better, everything else gets better. But when the friendship suffers, everything else begins to suffer. So here's what I want to do today. I just want to help you work on your friendship. And so because we live in a day where everybody thinks there's friends, but nobody actually has any friends, it's a little bit confusing. So I have an acronym for you. I'm going to spell out friends, and we're just going to do a Bible study over what it means to be friends with your spouse. So I have an acronym, okay? Uh, uh, friends, F-R-I-E-N-D-S. Did I spell it right? Did I spell it right? Okay, I went to Little Cyprus, so I don't know, okay? F-R-I-E-N-D-S. The first is this. A friend 
is fruitful. Here's what Genesis says, the book of beginnings about the first relationship, Genesis 1:26. God says he gives a vision statement. He gives a mission statement. He gives a goal to Adam and Eve, our first parents. And here's what he says in Genesis 1:26: Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Now, te- now typically when we read this verse, we think be fruitful. That means go make some babies. Okay, but that's actually not what that verse means. I don't believe. I think it's an aspect, but I don't think that's the most important part because I know a lot of amazing couples who have incredible marriages and they're very fruitful, yet they don't have any kids. They don't have any kids due to seasons of life, maybe miscarriages, maybe infertility. And so if that's what that means, then there would be a lot of godly people who have ungodly marriages because they can't be fruitful. Here's what I actually think it means. I think it means culture making. See, that's what the theological term for this verse is. It's the cultural mandate. It's cultural making. It is vision casting. It is legacy leaving. It's talking about building a life and a future together. Here's what you need to know, that you want to have a shared vision for your future. Me and Ashley, we have a shared vision. Because without a shared vision for your marriage, there will be division in your marriage. Me and Ashley, we have a shared vision. We share our hopes, our dreams, our wants, our fears, our goals, and our aspirations. We have the same vision. Our vision is to plant churches. Our vision is Redemption Church, to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. That is our vision. We have a shared vision for our marriage. Do you have a shared vision, a goal, a direction, a destination that you two are wanting to travel and journey along the way. Because when you have a shared vision for the marriage, then you're going to be moving forward and going and growing. But if there is not a shared vision, guess what you have? You have division. Do you know what division is? Division literally is two visions. Okay. And so what it means is one's going this way and the other's going this way. You do your life. I'll do my life. You do what you want. I'll do what I want. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. And now when you're dating or even as newlyweds, it doesn't seem like that really big of a deal because the, 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 the distance between you is just very, very, very minimal. But as time goes, you begin to grow more and more distant from one another because you're living totally separate, opposite, different lives. You, have sh- you, have, you don't have a shared vision. Eventually, you're going to end up with division. This is why so many couples become so distant from one another because they don't have a shared vision. What is it that you want to do with your life? And then share that with your spouse. Say, this is where I hope, and this is where I'm praying, this is where I'm going, this is where God's leading me, where's God leading you? And oftentimes, when you develop that shared vision, you'll see that it, you're able to do those things together. Me and Ashley, we had this conversation right before we got married. And people ask me all the time, they say, Pastor Byron, how did you get Ashley to want to be a pastor's wife? I said, I didn't have to get Ashley to want to be a pastor's wife. God did that for me. Because when God called me into ministry, God called her into ministry too. Now, our ministry looks different, but we're both in ministry together because we have a shared vision. People ask me, they say, Pastor Byron, how do you get Ashley to stay at home with the kids? That's just so unheard of today. How did, how, how did you do that? I said, do you really want to know? Do you really want to know how I got Ashley to be a stay-at-home mom and take care of the kids? They're like, yeah. I said, we arm wrestled for it. Like, really? It's like, yeah, and she's tiny. I could take her. It was really easy. It was just like, one, two, three, boom, ha, you're pregnant. Go home. No, that's not what we did. Before we got married, she shared her dreams with me. She said, this is what I want out of life. I want to be a mom. 
I want to have a big family and I want to stay home, be able to take care of the kids and I would love to be able to do ministry with her. We had a shared vision because if not, guess what there would have been? There would have been a whole lot of division in our marriage. So for you married couples, what do you feel like God's calling you to do? And then do those things together, have a shared vision. What would it have been like if Adam was like, hey, um, I wanna be fruitful. And Eve's like, nah, I don't really feel very fruity today. <laughs> what would it have been like if Eve was like, I wanna multiply. And Adam's like, I ain't that good at math. I can't multiply. Uh, what would it have been like if they're like, we're gonna fill the earth. And they're like, you fill it over there and I fill it over here. And they were like, well, there's division in the marriage because there was no united vision for the marriage. This is so important for those of you who are single, especially, to have this conversation before you get married. Of course, after you get married, some things are gonna change, so you have to keep connecting and reconnecting with that, but have this conversation before. Do you share the same vision? Do you share the same goals and values with one another? Because if you don't, there might be division. Just for an example, okay, November is an election season. I don't know if you knew that or not, but November is an election. If you don't have conversations about important things, November's gonna be really awkward when their old white guy beats your old white guy. And then everybody's jumping up and down and you're sitting there with your hand in your head and you're like, oh my God, there's a riot in my house. And it's not the laughing, ha ha ha, that's hysterical, right? No, uh, somebody might burn that thing down. You need to have a conversation about the important matters of life. Things like politics, things like child raising, things like theology, have these conversations because just as a point, right? If you're charismatic and they're cessationists, you're the charismatic girl and you love speaking in tongues and they're the cessationists who believe that it's demonic. Well, family dinner is going to be really weird for you because, you know, she's going to be speaking in tongues and he's going to be casting out the demon and the kids are running around crazy and you have to pay for their therapy. It's not going to go good for you. Have a conversation about some of these important things. Another one would be if you're a complementarian, if you believe that, you know, men are the spiritual leader of the home as Jesus is the head of the church, the husband's to be the head of the wife, humbly, sacrificially laying his life down for the good of his family, and she's egalitarian, wants to hyphenate the last name, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble because you don't agree on foundational vision issues. When it, If she wants 17 kids, right, and you want to live at your mom's house, there's going to be double trouble, a lot of trouble going on with that because you don't have a shared vision for your future, that's what fruitful is, that you find somebody who you can do life, journey through life, share a vision together with them because God wants you to accomplish great things with your life. And you wanna find somebody where you can accomplish those things together. First F is for fruitful. The second is it's reciprocal. One verse that we've already seen in Song of Solomon is Song of Solomon 6.3, where she says, I am my beloved's and he is mine and my beloved grazes among the least. She says, I am my beloved. She doesn't say, I am mine, and my beloved is his. No, she says, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. She doesn't say, I am mine, and my beloved is mine. No, that's not what she says, right? She says that it is a give and receive reciprocal relationship between the two of them, that she is wholly, solely, totally devoted to him, and he is wholly, solely, totally devoted to her. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. This is reciprocal. Now, you'll hear very often in relationships where people say, we do everything 50-50. Have you ever heard that? We have a 50-50 relationship. We're going to do 50-50 over here. This is them. This is me. We're going to split the chores. We're going to divide everything up. This is your money. This is my money. This is your life. This is where you work. I stay here. You sweep. I mop. You cook. You clean. Everything's 50-50, right down the middle. Can I just tell you, that's not the way better marriages work. Okay, 50-50 is how divorces work, but that's not 
not how marriages work because a marriage isn't 50-50. My beloved is mine, I am his. Marriage takes 100-100. That you have to give all of yourself to them as they give all of themselves back to you. Better marriages are not 50-50, they are 100-100. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. When I'm doing premarital counseling with young couples, I really dive into this early on. And I say, there's basically only two types of people and only three types of relationships. There's selfish people and there's servants. Okay, whenever you get these two people in a relationship, a selfish person and a selfish person, well, guess what? All they do is take. And all they do is head-on collision. Because they're selfish. I want what I want and you need to give it to me. And they're thinking the same thing about you. I want what I want and you need to give it to me. And then it's just all the time, head on collision between the two of them because there's two selfish people in the relationship. But then if you get a selfish person and a servant in the relationship, well, that has the potential to become abusive because there's one person who's always taking, always expecting, always stealing, always receiving, but they're never giving and blessing and loving and helping and serving. Then that becomes an abusive because one person just it rolls over and becomes a doormat and the other person walks all over them. That is the makings of an abusive relationship between a selfish person and a servant. Here's what God intends marriage to be, two servants. How can I love you? How can I help you? How can I bless you? How can I serve you? I am my beloved. I belong to you. No, no, no. You are my, I I belong to you. How can I love you? How can I bless you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? This is the way that God intends marriage to be. Not 50-50, but rather 100-100. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. It is a reciprocal relationship between the two of them. Now, whenever we first got married, me and Ashley, we did have to figure out, okay, will you take out the trash? I cook, you clean, you sweep. And then Ashley realized very quickly that when I sweep, I just stir all the dirt around the house or that I don't fold the towels right. And so we had to work on this early in the marriage. But I consider those things more like training wheels because if you're you know, married 30 years and you're still trying to figure out who's gonna take out the trash, there's a problem. Right, you should see a need, meet the need, lovingly, humbly serve. If you see your spouse is struggling in an area, hey, why don't you bless them by using your extra time or energy to be able to help them and to serve them in that area. You shouldn't say in a marriage, that's not my job. No, because you married them, you give yourself to them. You lovingly, humbly serve one another. Marriages isn't 50-50 because you're not half a person. Right? Half, half, half-hearted marriages are 50-50. Whole-hearted marriages are 100-100. Okay, that they're reciprocal. The second one, or the third one rather, is they are intimate. Now, before you get too excited, we're not talking about sex, okay? Okay, we're not gonna talk about sex. That's gonna be next week. But sex is a result of intimacy, but in of itself, it is not intimacy. Here's what intimacy means. Into me see. It's where you're allowing the person to see the real you, the true you, so you can be fully known yet fully loved. That's what intimacy is. That you drop the walls, you let the person in so they can see the true you. Not who you're pretending to be, not who everybody thinks that you are, not the persona that you give off at work or on Facebook. No, no, the real you, the true you, the faults, the flaws, the failures, 
everything about you. You allow them in and then you begin to share your heart and you're with them. That's what intimacy is. Here's what she says in Song of Solomon 2.14. She says, oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, here's what we see. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Anytime in the Bible you see that word face, what it's talking about is the language of friendship. So in Genesis, it says that Jacob, he built an altar because he saw God face to face. That's friendship. Moses, in Exodus, it says, Moses spoke with God face to face as one would speak to a friend. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, in the great love chapter, love is patient, love is kind. It says, for now we see through a mirror dimly lit, but one day we will see him face to face. That's the language of friendship. Here she says, your face is lovely. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Men, if you want to develop intimacy with your wife, she needs to see you face. <laughs> you need to do something. And I know it's going to be challenging for you, but you can do this. You need to talk to her. You need to open up your mouth and then string some words together. Just let them fall out. Just say, right? do that, right? You need to do that because you got to see face to face. And it's, you have to do it because if you want to go to the crannies of the cliff and the clefts of the rock, she's going to have to see your face. She needs to hear your voice because your voice is lovely. Your voice is sweet. And here's what I need you to know is that communication is a demonstration of affection. When you love someone, you talk to them. When you love someone, you want to spend time with them because communication is a demonstration of affection. That's why I've been hammering out this entire series. Talk to each other. Build the communication. Sit down. Have face-to-face -face conversations. Text them. Call them. And send them more than a meme and an emoji. Have an honest conversation with your spouse. Make that one-on-one -on -one time. And that's going to create an intimacy because communication is a demonstration of affection. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but men and women are different. Have you all discovered that? Have you figured that out yet? Men and women are different and we demonstrate our affection in different ways. So women tend to build their intimacy by doing face-to-face. -face. This is my wife, Ashley. She does face-to-face -face time. Like when she's talking to her best friend, she FaceTimes her. I'll walk in the room and she's FaceTiming her friend. I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm just FaceTiming my friends. And we're just talking. I'm like, you've been talking for like two hours. She's like, yeah, I know. I said, like, what are you talking about? She's like, nothing. So you've just been FaceTiming for nothing for two hours. She's like, yes, we needed some friend time. And I'm like, okay, great. She's like, you don't do that? It's like, no, I have never once wanted to FaceTime Brandon. <laughs> It's like, Brandon, I just need to see your face right now. No, 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 I don't do it. I don't FaceTime Trevor. No, I look at his face all the time at work. I don't want to see it when I'm at home. I don't FaceTime my friends, right? I'll text them like a normal person and then ignore them when they call me like a normal person. Because we don't build our relationships face to face. Like, I, I've never just been like, hey, I, can we just go have some coffee? Because I just really need to get down to the feelings and I just really want to see your face for a little bit. No, no, I don't do that. And if I did that, there's an unwritten guy code that they would have to punch me in my face. No, we don't do that because men build their relationships more shoulder to shoulder. 
Men build their relationships by accomplishing something, by doing something through some form of activity. So ladies, if you ask your friends, hey, if you ask your husband, hey, where did you, where, how, how are you friends with them? They'll say, oh, well, you know, I mean, we played sports in high school. Maybe we uh, went to church together. We served in the military together. Oh, we played basketball together. I met them at the gym together. They came over and fixed my internet. And that's how we became friends. And if you notice, it's always a relationship that was established through doing something, through accomplishing something. Even when men are just hanging out, doing absolutely nothing, there's still this sense of an accomplishment whenever they were doing that. And a great example would be the other night at my house, we had a deacon's dinner. We had a big deacon's dinner where everyone comes over and we have a barbecue. You bring the kids and the family and everybody's running around, having a good time. And we got some new outdoor patio furniture and we also got a barbecue pit. Thank you for my Trump check. And we've got those things. And then so we were like, let's have a big party. And so when I came outside, all the ladies were sitting down on the patio furniture. They're laughing and talking, having a good time. And all the men were standing next to the barbecue pit, setting it on fire. No, true, true story, setting it on fire. There was a propane leak in the barbecue t- tank. And so the, the deacons, they were like, hey, let's just see how this works. So just set, like, oh, that's pretty cool. Do it again. And then just set it on fire. They're like, is the meat ready yet? Let's just set it on fire again. And everybody's like, oh, what is that? That's shoulder to shoulder. Okay, men build their relationship shoulder to shoulder, but women tend to build it face to face. So if you're married, here's what you need to know. Ladies, you need to have some shoulder to shoulder time with your husband to be able to develop some intimacy. What is he like doing? Go do something that he likes to do. So if he likes hunting, go hunting with him. If he likes going to the gym, go to the gym with him. If he likes cars, go to the racetrack with him. If he likes sports, do something with him. Watch the game with him. If he likes fishing, don't complain about him always going out fishing. Now you can't always go out fishing, but get up in the morning and go fishing with him. There was a woman in our church the other day, she actually did this. She was like, okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. She woke up and she went out on the boat with him and she had a great time. Do you know why? Because once he got out on the water, there was nowhere for him to go. And he had to talk to her then. And she's like, oh, we did shoulder to shoulder, but we really got face to face. Now, men, you need to do face to face time with your wife. You need to sit down, turn the phone off, turn the laptop off, turn off the news, talk to your wife, put down the chicken wig, Wipe your face and have some face-to-face time with your wife. And when you do, you will go to the crannies of the cliff and the clefts of the rock because you're developing intimacy with your spouse. The next one that we see is this. It's enjoyable. I don't know if you knew this or not, but it's okay for you to have fun. Did you know that? It is okay for you to have fun. In fact, it is biblically commanded by the Lord for your marriage to be enjoyable. Let me go ahead and read this to you. This comes from Ecclesiastes 9.9. Solomon wrote this as an old man reflecting back on his marriage, everything we read in Song of Solomon. He says this, go eat your bread with joy, Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life. What does it say? Enjoy life. Enjoy it with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given to you under the sun, because that is your portion of life. That is your toil in which you work and toil under the sun. Enjoy the life with the wife whom you love. He says, enjoy life because your life is vain. 
Now, how many of you, you probably wouldn't use that word to describe your marriage, okay? If you did, put your hand down right now. They're sitting next to you. Come on, man. No, you wouldn't say, yes, my marriage is very vain. You're like, oh, what's the Hebrew word for vain? Okay, it's this word right here. It's called hebel. You're like, getting a little closer. It means worthless. You're like, yeah, I wouldn't use that word to describe her. It means pointless. You're like, mm, getting a little closer. No, no, no. Here's what I think a better translation of it means. It, it, it means brief. It, it's the word hebel, which means a vapor, a wisp. It is something that is brief. You're here today, and then you're gone tomorrow. A lot of us live like we're going to live forever, but those of you who've been married, it goes by very fast, doesn't it? It goes by so fast because one day you're dating, then the next day you're married, the next day you have kids, and then your kids are graduating from college, and you're paying off their student loans, and then the next day they're having kids, and now you're a grandparent, and the next day all of a sudden you're retiring, and then they're buying you flowers putting you in a retirement home and putting you in a box because it's over. How many of you realize life goes by very fast, doesn't it? And this is what God is saying. He's saying, listen, life goes by so fast, don't miss it. Don't waste it. Don't miss the opportunity to have fun along the way. Life goes by so fast and you can get so busy in life that you forget to enjoy your life. You can get so busy working in the marriage, you forget to step back and begin to work on and to enjoy the life with the wife or the husband that you have. One of the reasons why we wanted to start Song of Solomon is because when COVID-19 first happened, me and Ashley were at each other's throats. We were fighting more than we fought in a very long time. And one of the things that Ashley said to me that was so heartbreaking, I realized, uh-oh, we're in trouble, was this. She said, when was the last time we laughed together? And I didn't have an answer. She said, we don't have any fun. It's always work, work, work. It's always church. It's always so busy. You're always going here and going here. And when was the last time we actually sat down and laughed together? And I didn't have an answer for it. And I was like, oh, I'm in, I'm in really big trouble. Because I had disobeyed scripture. Here God literally says, go have some fun. Go have some fun. Go enjoy your life. And I was disobedient to the word of God. And here's what I've discovered. For those of you who are type A, Enneagram 3 personalities, I want to say something that I think can bring a lot of health and healing into your marriage. And here's what it is. Every yes is 1,000 no's. Every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to someone else. Every time you say yes to work, every time you say yes to extra hours, every time you say yes to a pointless meeting or to go somewhere else, every time you say yes to another obligation, some extracurricular activity, every time you say yes to something else, for those of you who stretch yourself so thin and you wonder where's all my time going, it's because you're investing in the wrong things. Every yes is 1,000 no's. Some of you say, but I just have a hard time saying no. No, you don't. You just say no to the wrong people. You say no to your spouse every time you say yes to something else. Every yes is a thousand no's. I learned this the hard way when me and Ashley lived up in New York. We planted a church in upstate New York. It was a wonderful time. We moved up there and I thought, we're going to live in one of the most amazing places. 
In all of America, people actually travel from across the world to come to where we're going to live. We lived about an hour away from New York City. We lived about 30 minutes from Lake George. We lived another 30 minutes away from the mountains. We lived right, you know, about an hour away from the Adirondack Trail. Do you ever go like on your screensaver on your desktop laptop and you know that picture with all of the, 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 the trees and the leaves are all changing colors. It's all bright orange and yellow and it's like, man, and that's so beautiful. That was the Adirondack Trail. And we were about an hour away from it. We moved to New York. We started planting the church. I'm working overtime. I'm putting in extra hours. I'm grinding it out. I'm serving. I'm loving. I think that I'm helping people, but I'm really just hurting my marriage all the more. Because she would say, hey, when are we going to do this? I said, we'll go next time. We'll go next week. We'll go next week. Once we're through this, once we get out of this busy season, once we get out of this stretch of road, once this season is over, that's when we'll go. But here's what I discovered. After every season always comes another season. And next week turned into the next week, which turned into the next month, which turned into our time was up. And I never took my wife to New York City for a fancy dinner. I never took her to a ballet play. I never took her to a concert. I never took her to go skiing in the mountains, never took her to the lake. And I never took her to the Adirondack Trail. I was disobedient to the word of God. God here literally says, have fun, have fun. No, that's what he says. He says this, he says, go eat your bread. God's like, bread's good for you. Go eat some bread. You're like, but I'm on keto. That's disobeying the Lord. God's word said, eat bread and drink your wine. But I'm Baptist. Okay, drink your grape juice. Either way, go eat bread. Go drink your wine. Have a merry heart. God's already approved. Let your head always be filled with oil. Let your garments be white. What God is saying is, hey, go get dressed up. Go out on the town. Have a little fun. Spend a little dough. Stop being a cheapskate for the glory of God and for the good of your marriage. God is literally commanding us, take your wife out on a date. This is the word of the Lord. And all the ladies said, amen. This is the word of the Lord because what happens is it goes by so fast. And pretty soon you're gonna be going through seasons after seasons and you're never gonna get any time together to be able to enjoy your life. Every yes is a thousand no's. So have fun with it. The next one, number five, is that a spouse, that to be your friend, you need to understand that you need them. Now, I know in our culture, this is very taboo. People wouldn't say that. People would say, oh, I don't need you. I don't need anything. I'm an autonomous individual. Individual. I am my own person. And you see this a lot of times on social media, especially through Instagram, maybe on Twitter. You see this in top 100 billboard songs, maybe even in movies. And you probably heard it repeated. I don't need anybody. I don't need no man. Okay, I don't need no woman. I don't need anybody. It's just me. And I, oh, you're just lucky to be with me. That's actually not true. Because in Genesis, it says it's not good for man to be alone. And so if you have that attitude towards marriage, you're basically calling God a liar because we really do need one another. And I think one of the reasons that people say that, it comes from a place of hurt. The reason people say that is because it, it comes from a place of bitterness and resentment and pain and shame somewhere in a past relationship. If you have a good relationship, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be saying that, I don't need anybody. No, that's bitterness welling up inside of your heart and coming out of your mouth. We do need each other. We are not independent people. 
God did not design us to be independent. Okay, no matter what the song says, my house, my car, I bought it, I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E. No, 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 that's not, that's, that's Beyonce, that's not Bible, okay? The, God says this, God says that we need one another. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, we're not created to be codependent, and that's oftentimes where that statement comes from because somewhere in their past, they were in a codependent relationship and their heart was broken and the relationship was torn. God doesn't design us to be codependent. He doesn't design us to be independent, but rather he designs us to be interdependent and dependent on him. Here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes again. He says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. What he's saying is this, when you're single, there's a lot of opportunities for you to begin to work on your life. You can do some really amazing things while you are single. So don't think, oh, I'm single, something's wrong with me. No, 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 that, that, that's not true. You can do some really great things while you're single. You can, you, you can grow in your faith. You could develop a biblical worldview. You could go on missions. You can serve in the church. You can go to college. You can pay off the debt. You can even build a life for yourself while you are single. But over time, there will come a point to where something is going to oppress against you. There's going to be hard days. There's going to be painful days. There's going to be difficult days. And you're going to find it that it's going to be a lot easier to come home to somebody to share that life with. He says, one can do fine against one, but one day something else is going to happen and it's going to be good to share your life with somebody else. A twofold cord Okay, that's strong, but a threefold cord is not easily broken. What is that? That's God. That when you two are walking with God together, it's gonna make life a lot more better. Here's what I always say. A good friend makes the good times twice as good and the bad times half as bad. All right, that's, that, that's Ashley for me. When things are really good, man, things are great. We're laughing, we're cutting up, we're telling jokes, we're having a really good time. I love sharing and doing life with her because she is my best friend. Because she makes the good times twice as good. But the bad times, she makes half as bad because I get to share the struggle and the hurt and the heartache and the hardships. She helps bear my burdens. I help bear her burdens and we don't go through life alone. A good, time makes the, a good friend makes the good times twice as good. But a good friend makes the bad times half as bad. God didn't make us to be independent where we don't need anybody. Right? If you ever make your spouse feel like you don't need them, please repent and apologize to them because you will wound them. Right, we need one another. Well, God didn't make us to be independent. No, no, God made us to be interdependent and dependent on him. Blessing, loving, helping, carrying each other's loads, having a few jokes along the way. We need one another, which leads to number six, dependable. When the love gets tested, that's when your friendship should be trusted. Right, when the love is tested, that's when the friendship should be trusted the most. Listen, last week we saw their fight. This verse comes from the middle of a fight. They're in a fight. She sinned against him. There's trouble in paradise. There is a big problem in their marriage. There is selfishness. There is bitterness. And their relationship is beginning to tear apart. The watchman found her, beat her, removed her veil. There's a big problem in their marriage. Their love was being tested. And here's what she says. This is my lover and this is my friend. When the love was being tested, the friendship was trusted. Listen, some people say, but we've fallen out of love. I don't love them. I don't love them. We've fallen out of love. I would say, no, you haven't. Most marriages, people don't fall out of love. They fall out of friendship. They fall out of friendship with one another because when the love was tested, they couldn't trust the friendship and there was nothing there to be able to hold them together. 
When the love is tested, that's when the friendship is to be trusted. Here's what she says. In the middle of a fight, she says, she says, this is my lover. This is my alap. This is my closest confidant. And then she follows up by saying, and this is my friend. She's apologizing to him. Now he's going to respond by forgiving her. And here's what he says. He says, who is this who looks down like the dawn, who is as beautiful as the moon and bright as the sun? She is as awesome as an army with banners. What is he talking about? He says, you are as beautiful as the moon. What he's saying is the moon always shines and the moon is always beautiful and the moon is always there. The sun, it always rises and it's always bright. I can depend on the moon. I can depend on the sun and I can depend on you. He's saying, this is not the night that I'm going to go to bed and wonder, oh, is this the night that the sun doesn't come up again? Nobody wonders, is this the day that the sun doesn't rise? No, because it's going to be there. No one has to wonder, even when the, the clouds are covering the moon, is the moon still there? Does the moon, is there going to be tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes? No, because the moon is always going to be there. And you need to know that your spouse will always be there for you. When the love is tested, the friendship is the foundation of trust in that relationship. You have to be able to say to your spouse, I'm always going to be here for you. I'm never going to give up on you. I'm always going to be right here by your side through the trials, through the tribulations, through the ups through the downs. I'm here for you. You can count on me. You can depend on me. You are beautiful as the moon and you are bright as the sun. And even though there's an army and fight, we will forgive one another because you can depend on me. It's dependable, which leads to the final point. They're fruitful, reciprocal, intimate, enjoyable, needed, dependable. And the last thing that we see is this. It's sanctifying. Now that word sanctifying is a very important theological term. And it's what God does for us as we become Christians, okay? So the moment you meet Jesus is what is known theologically as the doctrine of regeneration. This is the moment that you receive the Holy Spirit, you become born again, born again, you become a believer, and that's what happens. That's the regeneration of the Spirit at work in your heart. And then the last part is what's known as glorification. This is when you see Jesus face to face, you get a new body in the new heavens and a new earth, you're with him forever. And then there's this little bitty part right in the middle that all of us are at, and it's called sanctification. That is the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now remember back to Genesis chapter one, we were made in the image and likeness of God. And so what your spouse is, is your easer, your helper, to help make you more and more into the image and the likeness of God, that we are to be sanctified. This is what marriage is like. Marriage is your, and you and your spouse helping one another become more like Jesus until the day that you meet Jesus. Let me give you a better illustration for it. Think about it like when Michelangelo built the, or carved the statue of David. It's the most iconic sculpture in all of human history. And they asked, Dave, they asked Michelangelo, how did you carve the statue of David? And he said, it's really easy. I just looked at the marble and took away all the pieces that weren't David. That's marriage. That's marriage. That you see your spouse, not for who they are, but for who God is creating them to be. And in marriage, what you're doing is you're taking a chisel and you're chipping off the parts of your spouse that don't look like Jesus. And then you're allowing them to do the same thing to you, chiseling off the rough 
edges, the sin, chiseling off the ungodly beliefs that they believe, the selfishness inside of all of us. The day you get married, God hands you a chisel and says, get to work. Now, here's the big problem, is a lot of you people are looking for the finished product instead of looking for a good piece of marble. You need to be able to look at your spouse and see them, not for who they are, but for who God is creating them to be, and then to help them become who God says they are. This is, this is sanctifying. And actually, in the big marriage verse, the great marriage verse, here's what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5.25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her that your wives or that she might be sanctified, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In that same way, husbands should love their wives. Verse 32, this mystery is profound. How many of you are like, marriage is a mystery, right? Is there a secret? Is there something that I can do? Because this is confusing and a lot of hard work. He says, yes, this mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Several big words in here. Sanctify, wash, cleanse, Present with splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, without blemish, so that you might be holy. People get married for a lot of reasons. And one of the reasons I hear all the time is because they want to be happy. They say, well, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I need to be happy. And then we get in marriage and then a couple of years go by and people realize I'm not very happy. And, and I thought they were going to make me happy and I want them to make me happy. I've been chasing after this happiness and I just don't seem to have it. And just so you know, the person who's sleeping in the bed next to you is probably thinking the same thing about you. And a lot of marriages begin to suffer and struggle in this point because they're, they're getting married or they're building their marriage on a desire for happiness. Do you want to know what the secret is? Paul says it right here. The secret to marriage, the secret to a happy marriage is actually for you to pursue holiness together. See, what I've discovered as a pastor is people who pursue after happiness rarely get it because there's always something next. There's always something out there. There's always something more. It doesn't truly last. When you're searching for happiness, very rarely do you get it, which doesn't make you happy. And I've also seen that happy people rarely tend to be holy people. People who pursue after happiness tend to be some of the most selfish, self-centered people who have the worst marriages and leave a trail of failed relationships behind them because it's all about them, what I want, what I need. How can they make me happy? And nobody's gonna be able to do that for you because you're already not a happy person. But couples who pursue holiness together, they tend to be the happiest couples of all. Because when you pursue holiness, here's what God does. God throws happiness in for free. The secret to a happy marriage is the pursuit of holiness together, sanctifying one another, loving Jesus, loving your spouse, loving others That's the secret to a happy marriage. This is the reason that Christian marriages are better marriages. The lowest divorce rate in America, the least amount of physical abuse in America, the happiest homes, the happiest children in America. Why? Because, well, we pursue holiness and God gives us happiness in response.
God wants to bless your marriage. God wants to open up heaven over your home. God wants for you to have fun, enjoy life. God wants for you to have happiness. And he does that as you begin to pursue after holiness with him. This is why the meaning of marriage is for sanctification of a friendship. So how do we do this? How many of you want to have a happy marriage? Anybody want to have a happy marriage? Okay, well, how do we pursue holiness together? Three things, write them down. Read your Bible together. I've been saying this every single week. Read your Bible together because here's what we see. He says, with the washing of the water with the word. That's the word of God. In the same way that a rainstorm will erode a mountain over time, the word of God will wash away all of the things in your life that don't belong there. And you want to do that together as you read God's word together in the morning. You're getting God's word in your heart. You're sharing that with one another. And it's the most important thing that you can ever do is to get God's heart, God's word in the middle of your marriage. It will make your marriage better. Read the Bible together. The second thing is to pray together. He says this. He says, presenting one another before the Lord. Okay, present one another. That's what prayer is. Prayer is presenting your spouse to the Lord. Me and Ashley, every single morning, I hope you do it too. We present each other before God. I go to God and I hold my wife's hand. I say, Lord, please bless my wife. I love her so much. She's such a blessing to me. Will you pour out heaven over her? Will you bless her today? Will you give her the Holy Spirit to empower her to raise these kids? Will you give her the Holy Spirit to be able to encourage her, to bless her? Will you give her the gifts of the Spirit? Will you bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace? I'm praying and presenting my wife before the king on his throne. That's what prayer is. And then actually she does the same thing for me. She says, God, I can't change his mind, so change his heart. She's presenting me before the Lord. Do you ever consider prayer as that? When you're holding hands with your spouse and you go to pray together, I want you to know that there is a veil between heaven and earth that is lifted through prayer. And as you hold their hand and you go to God on their behalf, you are presenting them before the Lord and saying, God, this is the most precious, important person in my life. Will you bless them today? It's really hard to fight when you're doing that every morning, isn't it? Yeah. It's really hard to have a bitter marriage that's struggling if you're presenting each other to the Lord every morning because you're sanctifying one another. And the last thing is this, go to church together. If the meaning of marriage is Jesus and the church, then doesn't it make sense for you to be involved in a good church for your marriage? because we want to be able to pursue holiness together. In the church, you're gonna discover your spiritual gifts. You're gonna find a purpose and a meaning that is bigger than your life. You're gonna pour yourself out. Your kids are gonna grow up around others. There's resources beyond your own need to where you can help and you can serve. There's opportunity, there is life in the church. Pursue holiness together by reading your Bibles, by praying together, by going to church together. And here's what you're going to discover. The secret to a happy marriage is when you pursue holiness together. And that's going to build your friendship. See, a lot of people, they think about love. They love all the verses about love. I love the verses about love, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Fill me with the fruit of the Spirit, love. They love the verses about love. We love the Song of Solomon verses about love. But oftentimes we forget about the friendship. It's so easy for us to hear a sermon about love. It's so easy for us to read a book about love. It's so easy for us to quote a Bible verse about love. But do we know about Friendship. Rarely do I hear sermons over friendship. 
but they're actually synonymous. Beloved is the word alap and friend. This is my dearest friend. This is my friend. This is my lover. This is my friend. Because these words are actually synonymous. Before you were married, you started off as friends. So here's what I want to I do. I want to read Ephesians 5 again, but I want to put it in the context of friendship. And let's just see if this sounds a little bit different. Husbands, be friends with your wives. Sounds different, doesn't it? Husbands, be friends with your wives as Christ himself is a good friend to the church. He gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her like a good friend, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, or any such thing, that he, she might be holy and without blemish. This mystery is profound. Marriage is a profound mystery. How can we make it better? It's about Christ and his friendship with the church. Can you say to your spouse, you are my lover and you are my friend? You are my friend. There's a reason that everybody longs for their spouse to be their best friend because marriage is a symbol of Jesus and the church. And many of us know that Jesus loves us, but how many of us actually consider Jesus to be our friend? See, I think that's probably one of the big problems. It's because we confuse love with friendship and think they're different when really they're very similar. A lot of people know that Jesus loves them. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Yeah, I know Jesus loves me. But do you believe that Jesus actually likes you and wants to be your friend? Because that's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples right before he gets arrested. In John 13, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another in the same way that I have loved you. How has God loved us? How has he been there for us? How has Jesus blessed us? How has Jesus loved us? Let me show you. Jesus is causing us to be fruitful in our lives. That he gives us a vision beyond ourselves. He gives us a purpose and a reason and a meaning. He gives us hope for the day. Jesus causes us to be fruitful. He has loved us by being reciprocal towards us. That he gives himself. He says that no one takes my life from me, but I lay my life down for those. He gave himself up for us. He didn't go 50-50 on salvation for you. He gave it all for you because there is a reciprocity of it. Jesus is in. The Bible tells us that he is our great high priest, that he mediates between God and man, and that you can go to him anytime, anywhere, anyone, and he always listens to your prayers because he is intimate towards you. Jesus is enjoyable. John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and life to the full. He wants you to live the abundant life. Jesus gives us joy. Jesus, he is needed that no man can come to the Father but by him. He is the way, the truth, the life. You need Jesus for hope, for grace, for salvation. Jesus is dependable. When he says he loves you, he loves you. When he says he forgives you, he forgives you. When he says he's there for you, I will never leave you, never forsake you. I will never give up on you. And Jesus sanctifies us that the old is gone, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. How has Jesus loved us? He loved us by making us his friends. Greater love has no one than this than for someone to lay down their life for their friends. And then he says, you are my friends. Jesus says, you are my friends. The reason that we desire our spouse to be our nearest and dearest friend 
is because we were made for friendship. Adam was made for friendship with God, but he was alone because he had no one to share it with. And so God made him a helper. God made Adam a friend in Eve. I want for you to be able to look at your spouse and see them in the eyes. And I want you to be able to read this verse to them. You are my lover and you are my friend. And so for those of us in the room today, what I really want to encourage you with is this. When the friendship gets better, everything else gets better. Take some time this week and work on the friendship. You say, but I don't know where to start. Start here. Jesus was a friend to you. Start by reading your Bibles together. Start by praying together. Start by clicking the comment section, giving your life to Jesus together. Start by joining the connect page and being a part of a church together. Start working on the friendship because when the friendship gets better, everything else gets better. And so if you're sitting here on the couch or maybe you're here, part of our team, and you're with your spouse, can you do me a favor? Can you turn and face one another face to face? I want you to hold their hand. I want you to look them in the eye. And I want you to say, you are my lover. And you are my friend. Because when the friendship gets better, everything else gets better. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh!